Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. Okay, so so the first time the first time it happened to me, it caught me by surprise, and the second time it happened to me, it was intentional. And what I'm talking about is uh, um, non-local connectivity with people that we love. So the first time, I didn't see it coming. I didn't know it was going to happen. It was a Saturday. I was uh, working on the sprinkler system, and I needed a part at the sprinkler system parts store. And uh, so I'm driving the car there, and I have to cross this four-lane busy street. I just want to go across it. And I look to the left, and here in America, that's uh, um, the traffic that would turn uh, either next to me or when they get past. So, So I look left, I look right. I see a car coming from the left with its turn signal on, and I'm thinking it's going to turn next to me, and I don't have to worry about it. And I look right, and it's clear. So I start to accelerate. And when I turn my head around center, the car I thought was going to turn hadn't turned. And I was accelerating into what would be a broadside collision with that car. I was about to hit the car, and my foot was on the gas. And when I turned my head back, and there's the car, I crapped my pants. I slammed on the brakes. I, I... puckered up. I, you know, <laughs> two-toned my pants. It startled the crap out of me because I almost hit the car. And it uh, it really kind of rattled me. But nothing, I didn't hit it, thank goodness. And then I crossed the street and I got the part and I went back home. And uh, my my wife at the time said, what the hell happened like 20 minutes ago? What? I mean, I'm standing here at the at the sink, and I've got this just sucker punch to my gut. I had this horrible feeling. What happened? And I was I I wasn't expecting that. I thought nobody knew what had happened, and she didn't know the details. But um, and then I told her that I got real anxious and and whatnot, and. Uh, and it dawned on me that she was connected to me. Sometimes you hear about mothers that wake up when their son dies at war or somewhere else on the planet, that kind of connectivity. But the second time, so I had this vintage Volvo as my only car, I, beautiful car. I love the car. And uh, it happened to break down on the side of the road, and I didn't have my cell phone with me. And I was going to have to walk to a payphone. And uh, so I thought, you know what? I'm going to send a message. So I thought of my girlfriend. This is after I divorced. If you, And uh, I thought of my girlfriend. And about a half a second later, what I suggest, uh, you think of their face. You think of them and what they look like, and in about a half a second, there's this uh, energy that it, it's like you can feel them. So I'm I'm sitting on the side of the road. The cars are flying by, shoo, 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 and I'm like, okay, here we go. And I think of her, and half a second later, and there's her feeling, and then I just, I totally panic. I, I invent panic. I go, ah, ah, ah. And and then I calm right down, and that was my message. I sent it, and uh, I get out of the car, and I start walking to a payphone. And it's about a 10-minute walk to the payphone, and I get to the payphone, and I call her, and guess what? She's standing at my door. She's at my house knocking on my door because she felt like something horrible had happened to me. She had felt what I had transmitted to her 
as total shock and panic, however you want to contextualize that. And, uh, and it worked. It was like an intentional version of the first time it happened. So yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's stuff about our psyche that we just don't talk about in the mainstream. And that's why I'm really totally psyched about tonight's show. We have a return guest tonight. We had him on with his book, The Physics of God. And tonight, it's about his latest book that came out just this month, Break Through the Limits of the Brain. And our guest is Joseph Selby. We're going to bring Joseph on in just a minute. But uh, um, while we're noodling all this stuff, I want to... I've been um, writing a, a, an updated version of my Personal Power Fundamentals book, and I've been contemplating the idea of cultural karma, and, and more specifically, mental cultural karma. How do we, as a collective, experience mental karmic stigmas that are ingrained in our personas, both individually and collectively. And I really like the, uh, the example that came to me. So let's daydream, let's daydream a scenario. We're gonna go to a, a, a brilliant idea conference. <laughs> I'm making this up as I'm speaking, but um, so, so you decide to go to a brilliant idea conference and you walk in and, ah, damn, crap. There's Einstein. Albert Einstein's at this flipping conference and he's got an IQ of like the top. So therefore his IQ dictates that he's the smartest man in the room, right? I mean, it's, I'm, it's Albert Einstein. Who's gonna Who's gonna have a mental uh, um, dialogue with with him? There's no chance you can come out on top because of his quote IQ unquote. Well, there's Al, Albert Einstein. So the the big idea contest. Well, I've I've already lost, right? I mean, it'd be pretty easy to take that stance, but. I'm no sproctologist, but if you look at his own quotes, Albert Einstein's own quotes, he talks about noodling a problem with his mind. So he's in the lab or whatever with his mind, with his quote IQ unquote, and he's pounding on this problem. And he says, invariably, I abandon my mind. And so there, IQ leaves the equation because we've let, the IQ is the measuring stick of the mind. So Albert Einstein talks about, I, I abandon the attempt to figure it out with my mind and I go for a walk. He leaves the vehicle of IQ and during his walk, he has inspiration. Well, you can have inspiration. You can go for a walk. So when you walked into that inspiration contest and somebody with a high IQ was there, that's a mental stigma to have the reaction of, well, he's got a better chance of winning this than I do. Baloney. Bull crappy. That's just not accurate. But yet, in uh, if the academic arena would have gatherings with Albert there, there would be this, this default surrender to his opinion above all others in the room because, quote, his IQ, unquote, was stellar, and therefore the, the rest of us were would come up wanting. Does that make sense? I think that's an example of a, a collective mental karmic stigma. 
Hey, enough of this because I know um, <laughs> this episode tonight is going to be fantastic. Um, again, the topic is break through the limits of the brain and our guest tonight back on the show, Joseph Selby. Um, Dean Radin, who we've had on the show several times, he's the chief scientist of the Institute of Noetic noetic science and he talks about this book as a user's manual for superheroes (laughs) that's that's what i'm talking about you the listener the superhero the book debunks scientific materialism's brain-based explanation for conscious and intelligence including the brain as supercomputer and artificial intelligence models, and explains instead the view of many prominent and open-minded scientists, thank God for open-minded scientists, that have that an all-pervading intelligence consciousness is the foundation of reality. Let me say that again. An all-pervading intelligent consciousness is the foundation of reality, an age-old view shared by saints, sages, mystics, and near-death experiencers. Joseph explores the current neuroscientific understanding of the brain's dismaying degree of life-controlling influence on our thoughts, emotions, and behavior, and balances that understanding with neuroscience's discoveries of neuroplasticity and our innate ability to rewire our brain for any new purpose, from the material to the mystical. Join me in welcoming Joseph back on the show. Joseph, it's so nice to have you back on the show. Oh, it's a pleasure to be back, Les. So I'm holding in my hand a a user's manual for superheroes, according to (laughs) Dean Radin. Now... You know, we were talking before, um, I don't know if I can find it in the pants, there it is. Um, I'm looking at chapter 16, uh, chapter 16 of your book. We're so much more than we know, but our brain keeps us from knowing it. Let's start off there. If this book is Break Through the Limits of the Brain, and our brain is the literal scoundrel that prevents us from knowing everything we could know, how is it that, uh, that our own brain gets in our own way? Well, infancy is where we start shaping our brain, where we start creating neural circuits to help us walk, to help us talk, to help us understand speech. And infants at birth can't do any of those things. You have to, uh, as a baby, learn every one of those things the hard way, right? You have to literally keep trying to stand up, keep trying to crawl, keep trying to walk. And eventually you learn it. And as you learn it, the brain creates neural circuits that make those movements more and more automatic. You know, it would literally be impossible for any of us to function if we didn't have the circuits that we created when we were infants that allow us to uh, move our body, control our body. Simultaneously, when we are infants, many infants are aware of realities beyond what the senses reveal. There are a lot of children who talk about seeing angels or who see light or can see in their own parents uh, multi-levels of reality. They see their physical body, but they also see an aura. They see a light-filled body that is just interpenetrating the physical body. Most infants lose touch with that awareness and they get sort of talked out of it by 
the people around them, by society, and also simply by the imperative to, in fact, learn to use the body to function and eventually to start uh, having trains of thought, to uh, have memories, to have, in particular, emotional reactions to the world. And by the time most children are five or six, certainly by 10 or 12, their brain is a mass of neural circuits that automatically help them function in the world. And these are invaluable, but they're also what keep us, ironically, from knowing anything deeper. These circuits, I liken it to having a, a continuous fireworks show in your mind. <laughs> so when you, an image. when you wake up, when you wake up in the morning, the first circuit fires, the first firecracker goes off, and then there's a chain reaction throughout the entire day of habits, behaviors, reactions to something a person said, um, trains of thought stimulated by something you hear on the radio, uh, long chains of memory that come up in response to situations you now find yourself in, and uh, strong emotional reactions to things based on um, emotional reaction patterns we've had in the past. And from the time we get up until the time we go to bed, most of us are just enjoying our own personal fireworks show. And sometimes it's not enjoyable, right? Sometimes it's, uh, it, it, it's tension creating and we fall into the same patterns over and over because we're in the same situation and that makes us feel more and more stressed, more and more tense, it starts to damage our health. But even if it weren't potentially a, a negative experience of the whole stress cycle, even if it were always pleasant, it keeps us captivated. And it's that continuous fireworks show that distracts us from that original potential we had when we were born to perceive more subtle reality. So we are that subtle reality. We are much more than we know, but we've wired our brain to function in a very limited expression of it, the physical world. And then it takes on a life of its own. That fireworks show, we can't simply turn off or decide not to watch just by, you know, saying, I, I no longer want this. We have to be much more methodical to rewire our brain to do, uh, to live a life that we prefer, one, but also, to, and especially, to create time in our lives where we can experience the subtle. And the biggest tool for that is meditation. I unhesitatingly recommend meditation to anyone. It will transform your life. It will improve your health. It will improve your emotional harmony. It will clarify your mind, deepen your concentration. The list goes on and on and on. And in so doing, it gives you access to who you are within or who you are beyond, if you want to think it that way, think of it that way. So ironically, inadvertently, we have created the circuits that prevent us from knowing that we are so much more than we know. And we're just distracted. And that's the limit. The distraction is the limit. If we're continuously drawn into this fireworks show, there's no time for any other awareness unless we 
consciously break through the limits of the brain. Well then, uh, so if I'm a listener and I've 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 got my day-to-day fireworks show where my my thoughts from yesterday and today and probably tomorrow are very similar. How do I? I mean, well, maybe we should we should uh, look at what would it look like if we if we did break through the limits of the brain, if we broke through the limits of the brain, what would that look like? I mean, how would uh, somebody uh, perform or behave during the day that would be markedly different from mastering the art of breaking the limits of the brain? Well, the first level of breaking through the limits of the brain is generally into new and more harmonious feeling. It's not so much about perception, although ultimately we can perceive uh, more subtle realities beyond the physical. Uh, this is something that near-death experiencers talk about. It's the, it's the, the uh, given with mystics and saints that they actually can perceive a reality in which ours is sort of enfolded. But to begin with, perceiving it is more rare than not, but feeling it is where we really get the, the most, even if we never directly perceive it. If we can harmonize our emotions, that is the greatest gift of breaking through the limits of the brain because the automatic fireworks show tends to keep our emotions very up and down. Things go well in the fireworks show. We have excitement. Things go poorly. We feel bad. And we're we're constantly yo-yoing. You know, a good day is when we have more ups than downs, and a bad day is when we have more downs than up. But we don't have to be like that. What the you know, the, what would you call it, the stereotypical calm of the saint who is unperturbed by anything going on around him or her is really something we, anyone, can access. When you feel in meditation or in prayer or in magic moments when perhaps you're out in nature or you just are enveloped by the love of friends and those close to you, that you touch feelings, you touch emotions that are lasting. And they don't they have a, a slightly different quality than excitement or disappointment in that they're, they're calmer, they're... You're more certain of yourself when you have those kind of feelings. And they tend to last even when the ups and downs around you continue. You just don't go up and down with the ups and downs that you're experiencing, you know, like being late for work or can't find a parking spot or having a difficult conversation with someone when you are in those more harmonious, calmer feelings, you aren't thrown by those kind of things happening. You're able to be clear-minded, solution-oriented. And this is the beginning of uh, what is often called super-conscious experience because it's beyond the conscious mind, which is created by our, our activities and the, the conscious mind is what contains the continuous fireworks show where the superconscious or the superconscious mind as it's also often referred to uh, exists beyond it and it has those different qualities well then uh, there's the idea of a radio and then a radio announcer. So I can I can turn on a radio and here's here's somebody yakking along, yak, yak, yak. 
and yet um, if I if I dissect the radio, I, I won't find the announcer. And if we look at the brain, I mean, you've brought in the notion of super consciousness, and and you're alluding to the idea that it's not the super consciousness is not found in the fireworks, so to speak of the brain um, electrical apparatus or however you want to look at it, the, the brain as a, as a neural processor, uh, how can we, uh, how can we access super consciousness? Is this, is this done through the vehicle of the brain or um, how does that work? Well, Let's take a step back, because when I uh, have said now several times that we are so much more than we know, the, those aspects of ourselves that are so much more than we know or understand actually exist non-locally. And in your introduction, you were telling the story about having non-local experiences of communication with uh, your loved ones. And this is not unusual. As you mentioned, mothers often know things and uh, we often get the, the hunch that, you know, somebody's going to call us and they call us. So that knowledge doesn't come through sensory brain processing kind of experience or, or function. It comes through our non-local self, our non-local reality. So as I put it, we always have one foot on earth and one foot in heaven. That we have two bodies. We have two concurrent interpenetrating realities that are always there for us. We have the physical, and then we have this non-local, subtle reality that operates under different laws. One example is that in the non-local reality, according to physics, there is no distance, which is a difficult concept for anyone to get their mind around because we tend to think of everything in three dimensions. But physicists say... And uh, saints and sages say that in this non-local reality, everything is one. There is no separateness, even though there's the pageant of perhaps heavenly realms, uh, the pageant of people interacting in their higher selves after death, but without any feeling of disconnection and without any actual distance between their thoughts. So people are very able to tune into a thought from a person that's on the other side of the earth because they're really tuning into them not in their physical body, not in their one foot on earth, but in their one foot in heaven. So this is a, a, a deep reality for us. The physical body can't function without our non-local body. In spiritual teachings, it's called the astral body or the energy body or the etheric body or the spirit body. And it's um, in almost every experiential spiritual tradition is the notion that we, we are these two bodies. We have this other body and that when we die, we drop the physical body, but we still have the subtle body. And it's the subtle body that contains or, or uh, creates or originates our thoughts, our feelings, our memories, our life force. Those don't exist in the physical body. They don't exist in the physical brain. The physical brain can stimulate a train of thoughts. Uh, the physical body can um, trigger a, an emotion. Uh, 
it can trigger a chain of memories, but those actual thoughts, memories, and feelings are non-local. So when we die, when and near-death experiencers describe this, you still feel like you're the same person you were. You feel in a you're in a wonderful new environment that is expansive and powerfully harmonious and uh, you know strong feelings of love washing through your being. If you read the books of near death experiences, their their descriptions of their heavenly experiences are just so moving. But yet at the same time, they're the same person they were. They have the same memories. They have the same thought processes. They have the same capacity to feel. And they, in a way, if you want to think of it this way, they feel right at home because they've always known these thoughts and feelings and memories. And so it's nothing new. So when we're breaking through the limits of the brain, what we're breaking into is increased awareness of this subtle aspect of ourselves, this subtle um, energy body that is the home to most of what really determines who we are. Nice. Well, now, um, like I was saying in the intro, the uh, Einstein, it, it scratch his head about solving a problem and then he'd he'd set aside his his mental thinkers so to speak and go for a walk and be inspired now i could go for a walk and uh be inspired with e is equal to mc squared and that wouldn't mean diddly squat to me Uh, what i'm getting (laughs) at is what i'm getting at is you kind of got to get in the neighborhood of inspiration. I mean, he had he had mentally tried to put the pieces of the puzzle together. So he's taken his mind and he's putting it to a problem and he can't solve it. You know, in as a metaphor, he can't solve it with his mind, but his mind by studying the problem moves into the energetic realm, into the energetic um, neighborhood, so to speak. And then he goes for a walk, and it's a, it's a uh, I can't put it in context, it's a, it's a jump to the inspiration that solves the problem. So if I'm a listener and I'm, I'm doing research at a university or I'm, I'm trying to figure something out, I'm trying to invent something, it there's something that kind of primes the pump, so to speak, it seems like. When we when we do engage it with our mind, although we're not perhaps using that super consciousness, we're priming the pump, we're getting in the neighborhood, we're, we're preparing our mind to receive what super consciousness could feed us. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, you put it well. And... I think you know you're using examples of very very kind of lofty levels of creativity and and uh, genius but all of us do that on much more quiet levels uh, an example that I often recognize in myself is that I will uh today for for example I might read an email and somebody is perhaps asking me to do something, and I'm not quite sure I want to do it, but I don't want to say no, and I really don't know what to do. But I have learned that if I just let that rest and finish my day, that tomorrow at some point, if I look at that email again and give it a little bit of attention, it's like the pieces fall into place. Say, oh, yes, this would be the best way to handle that. I can give this person, you know, um, a generous amount of my time or an idea or help, uh, but I can do it in a way 
That isn't exactly how they asked, but it works for me. And I right. think that's as much problem-solving creativity as coming up with the next great equation after E equals MC squared, that um, we're, we're often intuitive without realizing it. We tend to think, because mainstream science keeps reinforcing this, that our brain is up there, you know, chugging away. All those circuits are firing and they're processing and they're working and they're in it, you know, like a cash register goes ka-ching and gives us a thought. Right. <laughs> but in fact, what we're tuning into is a vast, intelligent consciousness of which we are an inseparable part. And that vast, intelligent consciousness is is spirit, it's God, uh, it is our higher self, it's our soul, uh, it's all of those things, and many more names as well. And when we relax and let that core reality that is at our, at our heart provide the answers, the answers are almost invariably better. They're almost invariably more harmonious, creative, and occasionally uh, inspirational. You know, they change our lives or change other people's lives because we have access to that. We are that, but we have lost access to it for the most part. And we can get that access back by meditating, but also just by simply using it, being, being creative. Um, Paramahansa Yogananda, who is the author of the autobiography of a yogi, said that thoughts are universally rooted, not individually rooted. So we tune in, like the example you used of the radio, we're, we're tuning in, we're trying to find the program that's already playing in the cosmos, and then our radio set of our mind can can pull it in, can pull that idea in. But we have to, as you were saying, you know, my own my own creative process uh, gives me some insight into this because I will be writing in my book or whatever writing project I have and I'm I'm just not sure how to say or express some thought that I want to put into the book. And I've been kind of wrestling with it. You know, I'm writing this and getting rid of that sentence and writing that and getting rid of that sentence and just kind of floundering my way toward a finished paragraph or a finished page. And... I often feel that I'm getting in the way. So I don't necessarily take a walk like Einstein, but I wait and meditate on it. And I try to feel that there's an answer, and I don't know what it is. And I just relax my, my being. I relax myself in meditation. And then, and this was the, the point you made earlier, then I start to think about it deliberately. So maybe towards the end of my meditation, I'll do this. I'll start to think about the same paragraph or page or whatever it might be very deliberately. I kind of get the pump primed. And then in that calmer state, more centered state, the answer comes. I still have to turn it into finished sentences. I still have to turn it into a cohesive you know, series of thoughts in multiple paragraphs. But the whole idea comes to me at once, and then I get it. I say, ah, this is what I was trying to understand. This is what I was trying to say, and now I get it. So I always feel that that comes very much from beyond my my small self, that it's my greater self, it's my soul, it's my uh, connection to spirit that delivers that kind of um, clarity and intuition 
that allows me to uh, to write. So you can apply that to anything. It doesn't have to be writing. It doesn't have to be E equals MC squared. It can be your job. It can be figuring out what to do with your children. You know, as a parent, I can uh, I can say that there were many nights when I was trying to go to sleep and lying there and thinking of some difficult situation with one of my children and just not knowing what I should do. What is the right thing to do here? How can I help my son understand or my daughter know what to do for herself? And if I give it the night and if I meditate and just open up and start thinking about it again, great solutions will come to me. And when they come, I know they're great. You know, there's a recognition that you have of these are these are inspired thoughts rather than just practical thoughts. I like that. Well, uh, so say we have a habit of living in our mind where we're 100% in the fireworks, so to speak, and when we have things to do, we make a list and we sit down and we just crank through the list until our, our list is done, and we call that efficiency and um and yet what you're talking about is uh, the, the value of like poking at it with a stick and then letting it um, letting it um, settle a bit and come back to it. How do we uh, uh, how do we introduce this um, this way of tapping higher consciousness if we're, we've been so used to using our mind? I know you've talked about, um, meditation, but and and maybe uh, th- that's what we need to talk about. But if I'm a listener, and I've and so many people are so 100% in their minds, they have that the monkey mind syndrome, so to speak. What are what are some of the ways that we can kind of free up space in our in our mental fireworks, free up consciousness, so to speak, free up maybe actually uh, times of awareness to be able to bring a higher consciousness, a higher perspective, and thus a higher outcome to what we might have done completely from our minds in the past. Well, I think you have to start with whatever amount of time you can devote to being in a calm, still place, either mentally, physically, or emotionally, or all of the above, ideally. And, you know, deliberately find time in your life to have that moment, to have those minutes where you're not going to do anything. You're not answering the phone. You're not looking at screens. You're not checking your email. You're not talking to anybody. You are just by yourself, with yourself. And that time would naturally be a good time to meditate, but it can also be a time when you introspect. You think about yourself. You know, am I happy today? Why am I not happy today. Uh, what's been going on with me? We, we rarely even take the time to think about how our lives are going. I think one of the kind of special features of vacations is that somewhere in that vacation, we slow down enough to have a really important conversation with our our spouse or a loved one or a friend uh, or just time for ourselves, and that moment and that vacation can inform years to come of your life because you've you've had insights you think you know i've really got to i've really got to change how i'm living my life this there's this aspect of what i do it isn't working it isn't serving me i wish i could get away from it and so those are the initiating moments if you can keep that going, or if you've never had it, if you can do it for the first time, just be with yourself. 
if you need to walk, walk by yourself and let yourself consider how are you doing? What are you doing? Create a, a special time for you to consider and to relax and to get perspective. Now, I would certainly throw meditation into that because it is designed to do that. The purpose of meditation is to calm you down, is to keep the monkey mind from jumping about, to uh, give you the emotional safety and space to consider yourself, to consider what is happening in your life. And if you make a habit of that every day, that kind of introspection becomes a habit. You are, you know, you're prone to think about what am I doing? What What is happening today? If things don't go well, you can you can pause, you can step back, you can step away from the fireworks show that is wanting to automatically push you along in a in a way that you've been pushed along in your life over and over and over again for years. You actually it gives you the power to step back from that. And eventually meditation creates its own neural circuits that are the the anti fireworks show. <laughs> when when those circuits fire you you calm down. When those circuits fire you feel uh, a sense of personal peace and satisfaction, and and it just gets deeper. The more you can build those circuits, the more in touch you can get with your your higher self, your subtle subtle self, the intelligent consciousness that is you. But you have to start somewhere, and I, I think what I would just say is start with the the intention that this is time for you to introspect and reflect, to calm down, to to just uh, let the fireworks show go on without you. And just, even if it's five minutes, even if it's a a few minutes, throw in half of that time to, to try and do a meditation technique. Even that little kernel can grow into something, um, Life-changing, life-transforming that allows you to become more and more aware of your deeper self, your deeper intentions, your, your deep, fulfilling, harmonious experience. I like that. You know, the what you're talking about really kind of applies to the collective. I mean, if you look at um, social and online media and whatnot, there's there's uh, proverbial fireworks of of stimuli for our um, for our brains individually and collectively. And I I'm quite certain we get stuck in these repetitive cyclic patterns and. Uh, um, although we've been talking about the individual, um, really what the collective could use is what you've just been talking about collectively. And, of course, how that comes around is if we each learn to do it individually. It, it's kind of kind of what humanity is is poised to evolve into, so to speak, where we collectively have a, a deeper connection with a higher consciousness with within ourselves. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that um, it does begin with the individual, but it's also helpful when the collective is confirming the uh, the need for it and the and the effectiveness of it. So it's a it's a you know mutual feedback process. Uh, I am just so glad to see I've been meditating for for almost 50 years. And when I first started meditating, um, meditation was rarely ever mentioned 
in any kind of mainstream articles or mainstream media. Uh, it was just a, a very tiny fringe group of people, uh, of which I was a member, who who meditated. But now, uh, estimates are 50 million people in America have uh, at least meditated for some time in their lives. They've tried it, and uh, millions more of that 50 million uh, meditate regularly, and it's and it's well known. And we also have the amazing corroboration for the effectiveness of meditation that is coming from neuroscience. So neuroscience is confirming what the uh, meditation sources have been saying for millennia. Uh, for example, the meditation technique that uh, I began using called the Hung Sa technique has you focus your attention at the point between the eyebrows, not with, you know, furrowed brow, but just you know, as if looking, you know, up and out slightly, but with eyes closed and have that inward focus. And it turns out that when people meditate, that is the area of the brain that lights up in um, uh, neuroimaging. So we're getting that confirmation for how meditation does in fact do <laughs> what all these uh, teachers have been telling us for, for millennia. Well, very nice. Well, you know, um, I want to talk about you, sir. Um, I'm no sproctologist, but you're priming the pump in a very serious way. You've written a book, Break Through the Limits of the Brain, and 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 the physics of God. Now you're you're priming yourself for some pretty big insights here. What's in the future for you? Do you have another book in the works? I do have another book in the works. Um, it's uh, right now it's in a publisher's hands, and we're working out whether that publisher is going to take the book. Uh, but uh, it's it's basically done. It focuses on the kind of deeper causes of health and ill health and how those deeper causes are really our, our soul powers, our innate uh, powerful ability to actually affect the physical body at a molecular level. And these uh, forces are our convictions and our emotions. And we tend to think of emotions as just this kind of nebulous thing that passes through us like a, you know, a zephyr perhaps. But in fact, while passing through us, Emotions rearrange the molecular patterns of our body, and our convictions are uh, even more powerful, determining our health. So the whole book is uh, starts off by trying to explain how that can actually happen. Why does a thought turn into a physical? manifestation in your body what is the mechanism and what is this relationship of our one foot in heaven and uh, one foot on earth that causes this to happen and once you understand what you're doing and how you're doing it you can use that to uh, create what I think of as resilient health I don't uh, I don't like to use the term perfect health or ultimate health or even radiant health because a lot of times we're dealing with things that stress us. And so I think resilience is more important to be able to uh, come back from the challenges of life and, and find that equilibrium again, find those and use those soul powers to uh, 
get your health back to where you want it to be because we're we're constantly challenged if for no other reason we get older and it has a whole host of challenges so that's the essence of the book is that at the deepest level we determine our own health absolutely we determine our our complete uh history of good health and bad health and understanding how we're doing that can liberate us to be able to uh, create the positive health that we want. Well, very nice. Uh, an hour can fly by pretty fast. I want to make sure that our audience knows how to get your books. Um, feel free to share anything else you would like with our audience. Uh, tell us about yourself. Well, the, the simplest thing I would I would say for people who want to know more and uh, want to find out the other things I'm doing, my connections to uh, the Ananda movement and the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda, is to go to my website, which is josephselby.com. Uh, my last name has a slightly unusual spelling. It's S E L. B-I-E, rather than S-E-L-B-Y, which is the more common uh, spelling of Selby. So S-E-L-B-I-E, and that's uh, josephselby.com. There you can uh, learn about the Hung Sa technique that I mentioned and uh, get some neuroscientific tips for how to establish uh, a good, solid meditation life. Uh, it's also got information about all my books and uh, many articles and other, uh, you know, free information that is available to anyone who goes there. Well, very nice. Um, Joseph, I really enjoyed this episode. It's always a pleasure having you on the show. Let us know when your next book's out. Um, thank you for this episode. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Well, thank you for having me again, Les. It's, uh, it's always a pleasure talking with you. We've been talking with Joseph Selby, and the topic tonight has been Break Through the Limits of the Brain. Uh, you know, I've said it so many times, uh, the, the human genome, uh, human consciousness per se, every single one of us is a portal of of infinite potential, really. And I, I started this podcast over 12 years ago to explore our potential as, as human beings, human personas, human genomes walking around on the planet. And, you know, I looked at religion for a while and at least a billion prayers have been prayed sweet jesus god goddess come save our ass we're we're suffering down here my son's at war the I'm, my husband's beating the crap out of me every night god 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 come and come and save our ass and 0, 0.0 times has a glowing orb ever ever as a as a god with a big G, never come down from the heavens and waved a wand and changed the slums into palaces, waved a wand and changed the 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 human demeanor of countries. It that's not how it's going to happen. It's not. It's not. It's flesh and bones. It's through our human persona. In all of our mythology, there was flesh and bones involved in the transformation of our human condition. There's something special about having a body. Your body is, is like a permission slip. Your body is, is like a, a vehicle of the divine. And uh, like I said, I love exploring where this divine potential hides in the shadows of ourselves, whispers to us in a still small voice within our persona. So I'm just, 
<laughs> I'm just delighted to bring you episodes like this. Uh, it's great having Joseph back on the show, and I really like his book, Break Through the Limits of the Brain. And I want to I want to thank you, the listener. Here we are at the end of the episode, and here you are too. Way to show up for yourself. Way to be. Kudos to you. You know, humanity is is the source and the solution to all of our problems. So I applaud you for working on yourself. I'm your host, Les Jensen. Always a pleasure. Until next time, thanks for listening. This has been a New Human Living Radio broadcast. To bring your soul's inspiration into effect and live your life wide open. Check out our host, Les Jensen's book, Citizen King, The New Age of Power, at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening.